It's what you're too scared to say or hear. It's that taboo, the hush tones behind closed doors, the forbidden mutterings under your breath. This is the Uncomfortable Truths Podcast with David Dante Frank. Topics from sexuality, lifestyle and culture with amazing guests. It's the good, it's the bad and the ugly. Hey, you ugly black belts. Welcome to another episode on the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to the last episode where we looked at subtly shaming people for their pointing and connectivity, especially during meetings. And from that episode, a listener sent me this. Just listening to the new episode, I have been really busy. It was nice. I enjoyed listening to the guest speaker. She made absolutely great points. Network issues are totally beyond our control. No need to shame anyone for it. Another thing we have to consider is the stress that comes with getting a new network. Personally, I have been using Glow for a couple of years now. The network is great sometimes, but most of the time it's terrible and I want to change it. But then I have to consider going to buy a new SIM, the queuing up, the time it will take to register it, and then I'll need a driver's license to register the new SIM. There's a lot of work involved that I'll much rather manage my Glow network, but then again, I'm not using my network in a formal setting, so it's a different case. But still, it's hard for a lot of people, and really that's the truth, it's hard for a lot of people right now, especially with the new... Um, laws that have been given to get a new sim card to get a new network so a lot of people just prefer to stick with what they already have and manage it because they cannot cope with the stress or what it entails to actually get a new sim card thank you so much faithful audio for sending me that review and like i said to you guys every time you send me a review on every episode whether through a written message or a voice message i will play them on the next episode of the podcast so with that said guys let's jump straight into today's episode where we're looking at our money behaviors and we have dennis on board to give us some insights into that discussion So Dennis, you're welcome to the Uncomfortable Podcast. Um, it's great to have you on board. Now, thank you. Touching about you a bit, I see that you're a certified money coach. Could you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dante. So um, I became a money coach about four or five years ago, or four years ago to be precise. And I came across money coaching because I was looking to develop uh, financial literacy courses. I'd, I'd spent most of my life working in banks and financial institutions. Um, so I thought I knew a little bit about money and I thought, well, it would be really helpful to, to try and take that into the financial literacy space. And I came across um, money coaching and it, it struck me at that moment in time that understanding how we think and feel and behave around money is the key to understanding our behavior. So you can talk to people about budgeting and you can talk to people about all sort of the, the financial literacy aspects of money and saving and investing and, and pots and everything. But if they don't have a positive relationship with money, if they don't 
understand how the relationship with money works, then a lot of this stuff just isn't going to resonate with people. And so this concept of a relationship with money was new to me at the time. And I never really had thought about it in the whole of my life. I mean, I spent 30 years working in, 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 in banks and never really thought about my relationship with money. Um, and my relationship with money is how do I think about money? How do I feel about money? And how does it make me feel? And that's at the core of what I do, because if you want to understand how you behave around money, you need to understand your, how you think and feel about something. How does it, and so money coaching is a framework for understanding that. Um, and when you understand how you think and you feel and you behave around something, um, you can then, that guides you to making better decisions, um, reducing anxiety and other negative emotions and communicating in healthy ways. So that's the, that's the cornerstone of, of, of money coaching is to help people with that process, help people understand that process. Um, because um, it's not generally talked about. We have lots of stuff around money, but we don't really examine our relationship with it. We don't really talk about how it makes us feel about ourselves. Um, and so you can't, um, for example, if, I, if, you know, if you wanted to be a, an athlete, for example, you have to feel positive about athletics, you have to feel positive about yourself, and you have to feel positive about athletics in yourself. And it's the same with money. So the relationship with money is, how do I feel about myself? How do I feel about money? And how do I feel about money in myself? So it's not just a question of, of, of dollars and, and cents or, or, or maths. It's a, at an emotional level as a, as a core relationship. And that's, that's why um, it's often very hard for people to understand about money. Mm. Okay. Okay. That, that's good. Um, one question I'm thinking about is we've talked, we, we, you've addressed the fact that um, we don't have a proper understanding about money. We, we talk about money in terms of maybe getting more money, um, mm. more things to get that money, but we don't talk about how money make, makes us feel, right? Yeah. So we talk now, about what, what I would do if I had more money or if I need more money or I spend more money, but we don't talk about um, our relationship with money. Um, and if you don't understand your relationship with, with something, it's really, really difficult to manage it. You don't know if you have a healthy relationship with it. You don't know if it's, if it's, if the way you think about it is bad for you or good for you. Yes. Um, I'm going to ask you why, why is it so important that we understand our relationship with money and how it makes us feel, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that where, where to start with this is, is that, Actually, money in itself, managing money or understanding money, is not intuitive. It's not. It's not straightforward. It's not something um, that our brains were designed for. Our brains were not designed. They're not wired up for managing money. Right? We have this ability to think. We have this ability to write. We create. We have this amazing ability as the human race to 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 think flexibly in large numbers, and 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 we can create amazing things we've made amazing technological process uh, progress but that's not what the brain was designed for and in fact the brain is not designed for this the brain evolved 
over time for the sole purpose of keeping us alive. So if you think about the process of survival, the process of keeping it alive, it's very much about, I need to stay alive in the moment. The only future that's important to me is the one that I'm alive to see. So brains evolved to, to perform that to perform that function. They evolved to manage our metabolic budgets, energy in, energy out, managing all the different processes that go on within a body and they evolved to keep us safe and evolved to stay away from danger and to try and work out where danger was and predict danger in the future, but only from the process of making sure I stay away from it. And none of that is compatible with long-term planning or anything involving that. Our bodies uh, evolved so that if we see uh, fats or um, energy supplies, basically, if, if, we, if, if we as hunter-gatherers 15, 20,000 years ago came across energy supplies uh, in the form of fat or, um, or honey or any kind of high-value energy supply, we were programmed to consume it completely because you never knew whether you were going to find any of it uh, ever again or any immediate future. And then we store it on our bodies in, in as fat. So that is a core human response. It's a core, a core mammalian response. That's that's what the brain um, evolved to do. That's what our bodies evolved to do. So we're evolved for instant gratification um, and not for long-term thinking, not delayed gratification. None of that stuff is what we were evolved to do or evolved to behave. So when you're thinking about money, you're thinking about, well, you know, managing money and cash flow and pots and stuff like that. I think the best, the, the most important place to start with an understanding is that you're not designed to do it. So that is one of the reasons uh, it's, it's, it's really, really hard for us. We have to learn how to do it. We have to learn how to save. We have to be shown how to save. It's not a natural thing to do for our bodies. Our bodies and our brains are designed to stay alive in the moment and not worry about tomorrow or the day after or the day after or the day after. And that's interesting. Yeah, and, and that's okay because that's you can start with self-compassion because this is this is important to understand. Um, money has become very complex. In the last 70 years, you've had the appearance of credit, disappearance of cash. When I was growing up, um, I'm sure when you were growing up, Dante, you could only buy something if you had money. And when you had the money, you took the money and you went to the shop and you bought something with it. Yeah. Right? The, sure. the guy didn't give it to you. Didn't, you didn't like have credit. You didn't like go, Oh, you know, maybe come back, pay me when you want. Right. We didn't have that kind of uh, mentality. So there's, there's a couple of things in there. Um, when you hand something over, you hand over some money and you get something back. There's a micro loss moment. You hand something that of yours, your money, you hand it over and you get something back, right? That's an exchange. Um, so there's a micro loss moment for handing it over, and that's offset by what you get back. Secondly, you have to go to a shop to go and get what, to get what you want, right? And this shop doesn't sell everything; it sells whatever it sells. Um, now, you and I can sit in our armchairs or our chairs wherever, and we can have access to everything instantly on the internet. So, you know, think about how that works when you've got a brain that's wired for instant gratification and you're basically saying there is no friction between your desire to buy something and the uh, ability to do it it's just a few clicks away 
So that's another important point to remember because if something physically disappears and cash is essentially physically disappearing, I'm, I'm not sure about Nigeria, but certainly in, in the Western world, particularly uh, in the last 18 months or so where people go, oh, I'm not taking cash, that's got COVID. So cash is physically disappearing. And what that means is that if I pay for something by waving my phone at it, um, that is essentially frictionless. There's no cost to me of that. I don't feel that. So there's no micro loss moment and it just becomes really easy to spend money that you don't have. Um, so we're not designed for that. Um, we're not designed for that process. And yet this technology has now enabled essentially frictionless spending one click. Um, people will give you in, give you credit at point of sale. You don't even need a credit card. Um, and I think when I talk to my clients, I always ask them the same question. Did anyone show you how to manage your finances? And they all say no. And you can say, well, of course, Dennis, that's why they come to a money coach. Of course, they don't know how to manage their money. Otherwise, they wouldn't come to you. So let me ask you this. Did anyone, when you were growing up, did anyone show you how to manage your finances? Uh, no, not at all. It's, I mean, just only be recently that I've been, you know, been trying to look into managing my finances properly. Okay, so it's not just about my clients who don't manage their finances. Most people have never been shown to manage their finances. And this comes back to the question around, we don't talk about money in that would be part of it. No one has sat down with you and said, okay, these are some of the core things you need to understand about how money works and how money flows through your life, what you need to understand around core principles of budgeting, saving, um, building an emergency fund, stuff like that. You're just left to find out about it um, for yourself. Um, so no one shows us how to do this stuff or not, you know, not, not all of them, not all of us. Um, but we don't start with this blank slate. Unfortunately, we have a subconscious inheritance that influences us. And that subconscious inheritance comes from uh, in our childhood, from the messages that our parents or carers or the general community around us gave us around money um, and around ourselves and around. So we, we come, it's not like we don't know anything about money. We have this stuff programmed in us. And maybe it's something like, uh, you know, uh, money doesn't grow on trees or you need to work for your money or what sort of, do you remember any messages that, any messages, can you think of any messages that came up? in your childhood around money? Um, something like um, you need to learn to spend, you need to learn to spend prudently, but um, mm. you're not really told how. I think you make a lot yeah. of mistakes before you now realize how you should actually spend your money and the meaning of the word prudence when it comes to, you know, when it comes to money. But it's like you said, really what we know about money and what we learn about, um, what we learn about money, it's what we've been um, conditioned with while growing up, you know, from environment and, um, parents around us you know even in school yeah. never really taught the actual way and the steps to take response and um, things like that yeah and so uh, it's not just about the messages we received in terms of what they told us about spending prudently it's what people actually did so if you were uh, grew up in an environment where people went oh no we don't talk about money that's rude or it's immoral or it's disgusting then you don't know anything about money, but you will subconsciously think that there's something wrong with it. And if you ask about it, you'll think that there's something wrong with you. 
And uh, you might grow up in a family where uh, somebody, uh, the messaging is, well, if you're depressed or angry or something, go and buy something to make yourself feel better. Now, that's not a direct message about money because no one tells you to do that. But if that's the behavior that you're surrounded by, then you'll look at that and you'll you'll see that as possibly normal. You'll see that as a way to, to, to treat money. Or if you live in an environment where you have a great deal of scarcity and poverty, then money can be associated with conflict or money can be associated uh, with shame or guilt or any of those things that, that came up around money discussions in the family. So we have that and it sits, it sits in our subconscious and it influences the way we think about money. Um, and then when you look at financial literacy, uh, a lot of the language around, because money has numbers, we think we can turn money discussions into numeric discussions. So a lot of financial education is typically an austerity gospel. You know, what you need to do is split things into wants and needs. And um, then you just need to make sure that you know it's a need not a want and all that stuff is very very kind of judgmental around how people behave because it's all unique to them and it's it's based on how they grew up so financial literacy again advocates tell it's about the maths and they say all you need to do is understand about maths and what what is it about 1000 percent apr that you don't understand uh, when in fact our relationship with money is not mathematical it's all about emotions and so how I feel affects how I spend and that affects how I feel. So emotions are a key, key part of that. And then unfortunately, though, a culture teaches us, especially for men, that expressing emotions is unsafe. You know, the word emotional has many negative connotations to it. Yeah, right. Don't be so emotional about it. But you know, I'm trying to understand my relationship with money, which is essentially based on emotions. I need to understand my emotions. And so if you look at physical pain, we understand that. We understand the connotation. Uh, we understand the message from physical pain. Maybe I need to uh, go and see a doctor. Maybe I need to put a bandage on it. Maybe I need to stop running or whatever is that physical pain. We understand that message. I need to fix this or at least stop making it worse. But when we look at emotional pain, we resist the we resist the messages from emotional pain. And that's partly because culturally we're told to, uh, you know, just just man up and get on with it. And partly because our brains, when we come across emotional pain, they think that they're they're in an unsafe environment and they'll try and move you to a safe environment. So if I if I feel shame or guilt or regret or anxiety around money, my brain will go, ah, oh, that's making you feel bad. You need to uh, move away from that. So the brain doesn't differentiate between physical pain and emotional pain. It, it tries to keep you safe by keeping you away from emotional pain or predicted emotional pain, as well as actual physical pain. So we struggle because our relationship with money is emotional to understand it and then to know how to deal with it. Um, oh, one of the other things that, that happens is that our educational process teaches us that if we don't understand something, there must be something wrong with us. So in childhood, we get a lot of messages around, what's the matter with you? Why don't you understand that? 
or this is really simple. You should be able to understand this. What's wrong with you? And so underlying that message, and it's not deliberate. Our parents aren't trying to be, uh, even school teachers aren't trying to be deliberately negative with us, but underlying that is this, is this becomes this belief, which is if I'm doing something wrong and I don't know what it is, it must be me. There must be something wrong with me. So a lot of my clients have started in a position, in a place where they've gone, right, uh, okay, money thing, right? How do I do this? And then uh, it hasn't worked so well for them. And then they go into, uh, well, um, why is this so hard? Um, and then they move from why is this so hard to a space of, I don't understand this. There must be something wrong with me. And there's nothing wrong with not being able to do something that no one ever showed you how to do. So when we internalize messages about money and about ourselves, we get trapped in a situation where I can't do something. It must be something wrong with me. If there's something wrong with me, then we just generally, you know, keep it to ourselves, right? We don't go around broadcasting it. And because there's this culture of silence around money, at least in terms of uh, money makes me feel bad, money makes me feel anxious, money has all these things associated around it that aren't great. Uh, we don't talk about that, right? We have, we, we talk about, I need more money, or if I had more money, this would happen, or this would be great, or if I had money, I could do this, but we don't talk about in broad uh, terms, this concept of how do I understand my relationship with money? So, um, so to ask the question, how do I understand my money behavior? In order to understand your money behavior, um, you need to really, we need, we've touched on kind of how the brain works um, yeah. and then looking at, uh, and then you basically look at what are the messages that you got around money growing up. Um, sometimes we, uh, as, as, as adults, we, I'm sure as, as children, we all went, oh, when I'm an adult, I'm not doing that. And sometimes that works. You know, as adults, we, we don't do the things that, we, that our parents did to us when we were children. But a lot of the time, uh, we end up doing that. And sometimes we even use the same words that our parents used around us. So... When I work with people, I help them to understand how the messages they got in childhood created their money beliefs, their beliefs about what money is, what money means to them, and how the two of them, how them fit together. Um, and also, one of the things to understand is that money is very, very tied into our feelings of self-worth. That is also a message loud and clear from society and the media. And then money is a core survival need. So what I mean by that is a core survival need for, um, for adults, uh, sorry, for, um, for mammals are food, shelter, safety, sex, and social acceptance. These are core survival needs. And money, because essentially it can buy all of those core survival needs or meet all those core survival needs becomes itself a core survival need. Now, what that means is that threats to our core survival need meet instant reactions. For example, if, um, 
if you're uh, walking down the street and you step off the pavement, you nearly get hit by a bus. What does that What does that feel like, or a car, or a bike? What does that feel like to you? Oh, that feels that feels very life threatening. Uh, yeah. What happens to your body? Tell me some of the things that go on in your body. Oh, shock, and um, you know your heart begins to palpitate, and um, yeah, I think that that's 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 really about it. And fear. Fear is one thing that things that go on with that. Yeah, you're late there's 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 a massive release of cortisol adrenaline and and it takes over it's a really really strong physiological reaction you feel it in your body and and probably one of the other things you notice is that that even when the danger's passed it's still with you for a little while isn't it oh yes it is i mean you keep yeah. you playing events in your head over and over again and like oh my god i just almost died yeah and also physiologically in that moment so cortisol takes between 60 and uh, 20 and 60 minutes to 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 um to be metabolized in the body so you still feel a bit shaky and a little bit wobbly and then the memory so what's interesting there what you've just raised is a really interesting part of the way the brain works out how to keep itself safe so what it's done is it's taken a really it doesn't know what's important and what's not important so what it does is it uses emotion as a, an indicator of what's important. So when you step off a, off, a, off a pavement and nearly get hit by something, you get this massive reaction, which we've just talked about. And the brain asks itself, that's really important because I've had a massive reaction. What happened just before that? Oh, I stepped off a pavement without looking. So it's going, to, it's going to fuse those two memories together. Uh, it's going to fuse the memory with the emotion because it's going to go, this was a really uh, emotional moment for me. Interesting. Yeah. I better make sure I remember that and make sure it doesn't happen again. I was in severe danger. How do I avoid doing that again? One of the other ways that this man, the easiest way to think of this, did you ever burn yourself as a child? Yeah, I have. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Um, so I think that that burn and that pain, um, just the, the, the emotion that came from that made me realize that, okay, this thing is very hurtful. So even if I was not aware as a child and I didn't really know what it was, with that pain that came from that, um, it made me never go close to such things again. That's right, because it's a very intense experience and it wires itself into your memory yeah. along with the pain associated with it. And you, you, it would, it's, like, it's almost impossible to pick up something you know is going to burn you because, you're, because you're brought, your, your brain is going, stay away from that. That is danger. I remember what happened last time you picked that up. Do not do that again. You burn yourself on the fire. You pick up a, uh, you know, a hot pan or something like that. Um, so the brain works by predicting what's going to happen and it uses experience and the emotions attached to those experience to predict that's what's going to happen and so if in childhood you grew up in a family where you there was always a lot of shouting and screaming about money and for whatever reason then your brain will associate money with conflict your brain will associate money with anxiety and that will come through your whole of your life it will be wired at the subconscious level and you won't know why it's driving your behavior, but it will make you feel those memories. It will make you feel those emotions and they'll come up for you again. Okay. So, 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 so express clearly what you've said now. Let me see if I get you correctly now. 
um, you've talked about how our brain responds to emotions. Now, our brain may not know exactly what things are using the example of um, being burned as a child. So as a child, we probably at that point in time, we do not understand that this thing is called fire. But mm. the experience from that and the response from that teaches our brain not to, to stay away from that, to keep ourselves safe. Yeah. So even though we don't understand what that is, but the emotion that we have gotten from that experience teaches us to keep ourselves safe, keep ourselves safe rather, and then determines our response and our attitude to certain things whenever we encounter them again, even though we might not know what exactly they are. And yes. taking that and applying it to money, um, over time, the, our emotions that we have cultivated or we have been exposed to towards money now tend to determine our response and our attitude towards it as we grow older. Did I get yeah, that? and that's absolutely that's a brilliant summary. Well done indeed. Yeah. So those learning experiences, those messages, if you like, that we received in childhood, either directly or indirectly, form the basis of our patterns and beliefs because they're tied into uh, our well, they're tied into our memory and our emotions, and these play out through the rest of our lives. Um, so one of the interesting aspects to that is that within families, you can have siblings who have completely different relationships with money. They come out of the same space with the same messages, but, but they've internalized them differently. And you can have one child that, that spends a lot of money and one child that doesn't spend a lot of money. So there's this old kind of analogy of, of, the, of the children with the alcoholic father. And um, so if you if you imagine an alcoholic father and they have with two sons and one's an alcoholic and one isn't an alcoholic, you ask the alcoholic child, why are you an alcoholic? And they will say, when I was growing up, I watched my father. And you can go to the child that's not an alcoholic and you can say, why are you not alcoholic? And he can say, when I was growing up, I watched my father. So. You know, we take different things out of our childhoods. Um, yeah. The wiring process is unique to each individual. And what that does, for example, means that when you have a partner or someone you live with or someone you share finances with, then the chances that they feel the same way about money, the chances their relationship with money is the same as yours are pretty remote. And that's why um, a lot of times, in fact, most of the conflict in uh, in relationships is around money because um, we have this relationship with money that we don't understand. So we don't know what's driving our own behavior. We definitely don't know what's driving the other person's behavior, but we have very strong views that we are right and they are wrong. So, you know, uh, you, you got it absolutely right. Um, this is, this, so this is when we talk about relationship with money, we talk about talking about money and how it makes us feel and where those feelings come from, the process of money coaching unpacks that for people. And so they can go, okay, well, actually, now I know why I do that or why I don't do that, for example. And is this working for me? Is this belief I have serving me? Is it taking me towards the person I want to be or away from the person I want to be? Is it making my future yeah. harder for me mm -hmm. or easier for me? Because you'd like to think that all the decisions you make are making your future easier, not harder. Yeah. I mean, that would, be a, that would be a good starting point. But that only works when you understand what your decision-making process is actually based on. 
how much of it is conscious, how much of it is subconscious, how much of it is coming from patterns that came out of your childhood. And money patterns are pretty much established um, in the first 10 years of life. Mm. In fact, some people even say the first seven years. So what we're saying is that in the first seven years of your life, you got wired around money subconsciously by your parents. And when you make, when you're seven years old, your brain is trying to, to make patterns and make models and make rules for the, how the world works, but it really understands only a very small part of it. And yet this is now you're programming, you're wiring around money that, and you're going to go in, out into the world. And then your, sub, and your subconscious will, um, will determine your money patterns, your money behaviors. So yeah, that's, that's in a nutshell kind of how we end up where we end up. And so I always approach this with a feeling of deep compassion and forgiveness because you didn't make most of the choices. You weren't consciously making most of those choices. And if some of them weren't good, that's okay. I mean, you still have to live with the consequences, but it's not like you consciously chose to be anxious. You don't consciously choose to be ashamed or regretful or guilty about money or anything else. None of these are conscious decisions. None of these are conscious beliefs that you have. They just got wired into you as a child. Um, and then your body uh, in, the, in an effort to defend itself or you know, when it perceives a threat to its core security systems will just react. Um, that means fight or flight in, in general. So if you feel under threat financially, you can go into fight or flight uh, or freeze, actually. And none of those are great ways to manage your finances. Wonderful. So for those of us listening right now, it means that um, for us to be able to learn how to manage our money properly and our response to money properly, we need to be able to sit down and then look at our response to money and where those responses came from, um, how, you know, how we're conditioned to give a response to those situations mm. based yeah. on the background and things that we have been conditioned with or conditioned into while growing up. And then when we look at and understand those behaviors and understand where they're stemming from, then we can now understand how to move forward. So without having a proper understanding of where those money behaviors are coming from, um, we will not probably we will probably not be able to you know move forward in getting better about uh, managing our money. That's sure, you, that's right. You need awareness before you can have change, uh, whether it's anything, right? You need awareness of 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 whatever it is you want to change, so that you can make conscious decisions about how you can do something better you need a coach and a guide and you need someone to help you uh in and in 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 a way that make where you feel safe and you don't feel you feel judged so if you look at there's a guy who did um uh, wrote a book in the 90s and it's called the millionaire next door and he interviewed 500 i think american uh, guys and they were mostly guys uh, who built up wealth over their lifetimes, not, you know, not Bill Gates or anything, but, you know, some people that were essentially dollar millionaires in, in, in the nineties. And he, he analyzed them all and he, and he asked them, you know, where they got their wealth from and what they did. And he, and he narrowed it down to four behaviors, four core behaviors that all of these people who built up wealth 
managed over their uh, lifetimes. And the first one was uh, frugality, which means that you spend less than you earn. You are, it's a relationship between how much you earn versus how much you spend. But fundamentally, you spend less than you earn. If you spend more than you earn, you're always going to be in debt. So you can never build any wealth. The second one is confidence, which means that this is where financial literacy normally sits. It sits in the confidence thing, which is I understand how the financial system works or a little bit. And I am um, teaching myself how to uh, how to save, what the principles are, uh, how to invest. And, and, and basically, I feel comfortable uh, engaging with the financial system. The understanding how money works, how to make sure I don't get ripped off by credit card companies, how to make sure I don't end up in with loan sharks paying 100% or 200% uh, interest rates and stuff like that. The third one is responsibility, which means that I take responsibility for my future financial outcomes. I take responsibility for my life. I am in, I believe I am able to do that. So in other words, I'm not blaming the system, the government, uh, every, anybody else but myself. If I start blaming other people for my financial situation or my situation, then I lose my power, I give it away. So this is a concept of the locus of control or having agency over your life. Mm, and the that's, fourth- That's very interesting. And the fourth one is um, social indifference. In other words, I'm not going to uh, worry about what other people think I should wear or drive or have. I'm not worried about trends in consumer goods or services, at least to the extent that they are impacting my bank balance. So if you look at all four of these, they have each one has a massive emotional subcomponent to it. It's really hard to manage your finances well if you're scared of opening your bank statements or, your, or looking at your credit card bills or engaging with your finances. Obviously, if you have low self-worth, then it's hard to practice social indifference because you're always worried about what other people will think and it's also then very easy to to start blaming everybody but yourself so you don't take responsibility it's far easier to go well you know i'm just not the kind of person that's good with with money and my my dad wasn't good with money and and so that's just not me you know so there's a core emotional component and the emotional component to all these positive financial behaviors is your relationship with money how do i feel about myself how do I feel about money? And how do I feel about money and myself? So I hope that kind of explains it a little bit. Um, you, uh, you need to go into areas that cause you discomfort. Um, and if thinking about money makes you anxious or, or guilty or ashamed or regretful, you need to look at that and go, okay, where did that come from? How does that, is that helping me? Can I change that? Yeah. Is there a better way to do this? Um, so yeah, engage with your discomfort. It's not easy because it makes you feel unsafe and your brain will want you to go somewhere else. It will want you to go, oh no, 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 you think about that. <laughs> Let's go and do something different. Why don't you go and buy something if you're feeling bad instead of looking at why you're feeling discomfort? Um, and then you make the unconscious conscious and then you can change it. So you have conscious control over things. Mm -hmm. wow wow this this really has been very insightful dennis thank you so much for this um, oh you're very welcome but start with self-compassion always start with self-compassion because without self-compassion you won't be able to believe that you can change does that make sense 
Yes, it makes it really makes sense. All right, so, because you didn't choose those things. So people who are good with their finances feel good about themselves, right? I'm competent. I have confidence in my knowledge and decision making process. I how I they feel good about themselves. Um, uh, money is a tool to achieve well-being. It's not the work of the devil, the root of all evil, or something we don't talk about. And I feel good about money and myself. Money doesn't make me feel anxious, ashamed, or guilty. I'm comfortable engaging with the financial systems. And at a core belief level, I am the kind of person who manages their finances well. So that needs to come at a, at a, at a belief level. I have a healthy relationship with money. Mm, well, that's that's really great. That's really great. Um, thank you so much for this, Dennis. Because my pleasure. And I really think that this is a really broad topic, and we will not be able to even break everything down on just one episode. And no. this particular episode, we've really been able to take an in-depth look at understanding our money behaviors and really where they're coming from. So I'm thinking that you know what, on another episode, we can also now look at you know after um after understanding our money behaviors what the next step is which i'm probably thinking would be um learning how to now manage your money would that be the next step yeah you need to there's there's some technical aspects what you the financial literacy aspects of understanding how the financial system works how you how you can understand what your finances are how you how you learn about saving and engaging with the financial system. So I like to think of the financial system as a as a time machine because when you borrow money, you're borrowing money from the future, and then when you're putting money away in savings or investments or pensions, you're putting money into the future. So understanding how that works is important, um, and it's also at its core about how do I how comfortable do I feel about that. How comfortable do I feel engaging with that, learning about that? And you've, you've, that's your starting point. So yes, next is to engage with the financial system, learn how it works, learn how where you are with it, understand um, what your finances look like, understand how to manage them. Because um, it's really complex. It's not, it's, it's not straightforward. Uh, your emotions get in the way. And there's just like now we move to a system where you don't in this country anyway you don't get bills for most of the time you just have direct debits just money just goes out don't even see it so yeah you need to engage with that um and certainly if you um if your listeners would like to if they have questions or follow-up questions it would be great i'm very happy to uh engage with them uh, uh through your podcast and they'll be really interested to know what kind of things people would like to understand a bit more. I don't really want to go into the thin lip part particularly uh, yeah. because I don't know enough about um, your, your financial system, but I'd love to help people with their questions around money. Mm, definitely, definitely. And um, where would ladiesness be? Where would, where would you like them to reach out to you? What, what social media platform would that be? If they could no, be no, reach out to you. Oh. Very happy. Okay, to okay. you. I mean, they can reach out to me. You can find me at uh, cambridgemoneycoaching.uk. Um, so very happy to do that. Uh, I just think it might be really interesting if you want to carry on this conversation with your oh, listeners. I, I definitely um, and if, you know, I'm very happy to to do that live with 
them or if they want to write into you or send you messages around uh, if they found this interesting and useful and they have further questions then yeah that would be great awesome 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 because i i know that i have further questions that i you know i'd like us to you know move forward because i think after understanding our money behaviors and um, the next step is i would like for us to actually go into that uh, on that episode. sure absolutely all right okay then all right then thank you so much for taking out the time to really enlighten me personally and the listeners on understanding our money behaviors and you know where they come from you know, and dealing with those things with self-compassion. I think you have really stretched that a lot, understanding that these things and our behaviors and the way we respond to them are really not our fault. It's what we were exposed to, you know, while growing up. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dennis. I appreciate you once again. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Dante. Thank you for reaching out. really was an awesome episode thank you so much dennis for doing that episode with me on the uncomfortable truth podcast i mean has your thoughts has your perspective on your money behaviors changed and after listening to that have you gotten insight to why you behave the way you behave with money send me your thoughts send me your reviews on instagram at uncomfortable truths podcast and i will be sure to play them on the next episode if it's a voice note i will actually play it i mean if it's a message i will read it out also if you have questions send them to me and i will forward them to dennis and i will give you the response on the episode of the podcast or send you a message directly also if you have gotten tremendous value out of this episode please don't forget to share this episode with a friend or a loved one this helps the podcast to grow organically it helps our listenership audience or the audience um, number to grow i mean it's very important that that happens you know also if you would like to support the podcast financially there is a link in the show notes of the episode which you can click and support us whatever little it is that you have and you know we would be grateful with that said also guys if you are not yet following us on instagram please do so at uncomfortable trust podcast underscore um there's a lot of content that goes on up there and you know that also helps the the podcast goes you know social media wise as well so please do that okay now on the next episode we will be shaking the tangles table a bit um i will be having a guest greeter of the girl on podcast she said some wonderful things on her own episode on the podcast and i felt you know i just needed to bring her on board so that we could discuss some of these issues i mean we'll be looking at why um ladies are single why people still choose to remain single is it because of the opposite sex or are there things that are you that you are doing that you know keeps you single and how to remain single if you really also want to remain single it sounds funny right but don't worry stay tuned for the episode and until then it's goodbye for now guys (laughs) 